Um, hey, so welcome to Politicalish. Uh, David Quintana here, and today we're here with someone that I've really, really been looking forward to interview, and that is the number three ranked uh, bantamweight yes. in the UFC, Aspen Ladd. Someone I see often, someone who's very intimidating to talk to. I don't know why. Why are you so intimidating to talk to? I don't know. I, I hear that I'm scary all the time. You, you are kind of scary. You're the scariest nice person I've ever met. That could be like the subtitle of your book. <laughs> um, but but you're you're a big animal lover, right? And I yes. think that's why I initially wanted to reach out to you, not just because you're the number three ranked bantamweight in the UFC, but because really you love animals absolutely How a lot better than people for the most part do you, except me <laughs> except this has not been as terrifying as i thought it'd be so far <laughs> yeah right so i wanted to talk to you about animals first because i just love the fact that here you are this tough and i've seen some of the people that you just beat the hell out of but then i see all these pictures of you with you know your dogs taking hikes and i just love that i just think that's pretty awesome have you always been this way have you always had a soft spot for animals my whole life so for as long as i can remember it's been hiking dogs and eventually career but i i basically grew up and stayed the same so from a little tiny kid to now same person only now i'm able to uh really indulge what i love outside of fighting a little bit more than you could Growing up, per se. And you got into fighting because you were, let me see if I can remember the story. You, you got into fighting because you were kind of a loner, right? An introvert. Pretty, yeah, pretty shy kid. Pretty shy. So. Who'd you hang out with at lunch at high school? I was homeschooled. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> There's one that didn't pop up for your research. So you hung out by yourself. You yeah. know, you have a big family, right? Huge family. Yeah. So I'm the oldest of six kids. And a lot of my growing up was raising the other five. Really? Yes. Did you have to fight them? Uh, there's definitely some fights, but <laughs> there's a pretty good gap between us. So yeah. my oldest little brother is only, we we came in pairs. My oldest younger brother is 18 months younger. Mm-hmm. So it's me and Trevor. And then several years later came Shayla and Aiden, pair of boys. And then Avery and Abigail, the little girls. So for those four, it's like, I'm the extra mom. Trevor and I, yeah, we, we got into it mm-hmm. several times growing up. Well, your up. brother, Shayla, he's a fighter too, right? Yes. And he's a big guy. Huge. So like just walking around when he's not in shape, he's like 240, 6'4". <laughs> but when he is in shape, he fights at 205 and he's like 220, 225. Mm, man, yeah. yeah he he just had his first amateur fight and won. Did, did he win? He did. He had several opponent changes and it's supposed to be at 205. And then they end up finding him a heavyweight last last minute. Really good wrestler. He got his butt whooped for two rounds and he came back and finished the guy. Nice. Yeah. Man. I mean, it's like a 50 pound weight difference. <laughs> See, it's not the same as it is with the women, right? I mean, the women, you guys are pretty much, you guys are usually pretty close in weight, right? So, okay, amateurs are a whole different world. That's like, you can show up and there'll be no drug test. That guy just had steroids and paid a fine. So now he's fighting. There'll be chicken in the parking lot. It does not matter. So you can fight basically anybody as an amateur. You're supposed to have weight classes. But if your opponent falls out and there's somebody 30 pounds heavier and maybe there's not a commission or the commission's like, okay, it's whatever, then you can fight that person. So generally, you're supposed to have weight classes, period. Mm-hmm. And you're supposed to be within like a certain bounds, period. But it doesn't always happen. As you get pro, it gets a little bit stricter. Okay. A lot stricter. Because I saw me, I saw some of your amateur fights. And I think at least the ones I saw, you guys all look pretty close in yes, weight. Yes, that's how it's supposed but to be. you look so different. 
You looked like a 12-year-old in those first amateur fights I saw of you. I basically was a 12 year <laughs> How old were you when you started your amateur? So I started training when I was 14, but you can't go pro. Well, not pro. You can't fight until you're 18 unless it's on like a, an Indian reservation. And even then you don't require, because there's no commission, they don't require you to be a certain age, but they also don't require blood work and everything else. So it's it's shifty. You don't necessarily want to do that. So you turn 18, you get to fight. The second I turned 18, I wanted to fight. So it was about two weeks after my birthday. So 18, barely. And that was your first amateur fight? Yes. And where was that? My first one was in Tahoe. Like where was it? Where, where did they uh, fight in Tahoe? Mont Blue. Isn't that, the, isn't that the, yeah. Uh, the hotel? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I saw one of your fights was at McClellan. Yes. Like where the hell do you fight at McClellan? A hangar? It, exactly. That's what? They, they, yep. They put you in the hangers. <laughs> really? Yeah. What, what was the What was the outfit that put that on? West Coast Fighting. Oh. Well, hey, you were the champ of that, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. You I'm know trying to I, remember. It's been a while. You know what else I noticed about those fights of yours and the amateurs? Your hair. Like yeah. your hair was all over the place. So when did you go, hey, I need to braid this shit up? It was my second to last amateur fight. And that was the first time I went and got it braided because uh-huh. I got taken down off of pushing my hair back. Yeah, so, I know. I saw yeah. half your time was like doing this with your with your hair. That was the last time I had. Who, come on, man. Your coach should have said, Aspen, let's break this up. Man. I'm pretty sure that did happen after. <laughs> How hard is that? How hard is it to get your hair braided like that? Are it's, there people that specialize in that? There is, actually. You have to go find them. And the cool thing about the UFC and even Invicta, and Invicta is great. It's um, where I was before the mm-hmm. UFC. They provide a hair braider. So you don't have to go find it anymore. So I got to tell you a little secret about me. So. Uriah Faber was my favorite fighter, and it was for two reasons. Well, three reasons. One, I loved his intro, his walkout song, right? California Love, because that was my shit back then. Second, he's like my height. So I was like, oh, yeah, all right, I'm down with that, right? A little short guy making it real. And then he had the he had the braids. And so when I was young, there were two things I wanted to do in life. One was what's called a crip walk. I don't know if you know yeah. what the sea walk is. I always wanted to crip walk, <laughs> but... I also was always afraid I'd break my ankles, and so I never was able to do it. Um, there was a young woman that worked for me who was a professional dancer, and I kept saying, you got to teach me to crip walk. She's like, dude, you got to lose 50 pounds. Like, that's too much weight for your ankles. So I never did that. And the other thing is I always wanted to get cornrows. I always wanted, when I was young, I saw somebody in a movie, and there it was like, you know, a Mexican dude, and his hair was all you know, back. And I was like, I want to do that. And so then when I saw Uri Faber, I was like, oh, my God, he's living my dream. If he starts croup walking, I'm going to be really pissed. So, did you ever get your cornrows? No, because when I really wanted to do that, I was in the military. And so my hair was too short. And then by the time I left the military, I didn't have hair. <laughs> so my days, I never, I never got the cornrows. So how does that feel when you get that all that braided back? Uh, some people, it's not an issue. Um, some people are tenderheaded, and it depends on who you have braided. So... I tend to be tenderheaded. So the second, and it depends. It depends on the braider. Some are very gentle and some are very, very tight where it feels like your scalp's going to rip off. So if it's tight, you want to let it out as soon as you can. And if not, you're, you're good for a few days. But it just, it depends on who's doing it and what they're used to braiding. So some people get kind of extra with it because some people get like designs oh, yeah. and like letters. And yours is usually pretty good. It's just like three or four, right? Right now. I like it simple. Yeah. And it's probably not as painful. I don't know. I've never tried for the crazy stuff, and I probably won't. I don't know. <laughs> so back to dogs. Okay. 
So I know I was looking at, you know, some of your some of your stuff. And by the way, you've got amazing, um, amazing branding and social media. And I remember I was asking you who did it for you. And you said you do it all yourself. I run my social media. Okay. But as far as my branding goes, mm -hmm. I've had a lot of help from Amanda England with that. So as far as the site and the branding, mm -hmm. she helps extensively with all of it looking the way it does and running the way it does. As far as running the social media, that's me. Yeah, you do a really good job. I really like it. And I think you're doing what a lot of fighters should do, which is that it's not just all about fighting because this is a short career. God bless you, right? But it kind of is, right? I mean, it could, it, one bad fall. Unfortunately, we have a shelf life. Like even if you don't get injured, there's only a certain period of time you can do this sustainably and not end up with damage for the rest of your life mm -hmm. or start just going downhill and continue fighting after your prime. So regardless of what happens to us, there's a shelf life. And then when you take into account injuries, it gets even shorter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and so you're doing what I think is really smart and it's theaspenlad.com and you're, you're branched off into many different things. And I love the fact you have like your hikes, you know, your trails and like um, you have trails and you have tails, which are your dogs. <laughs> That's pretty cute. And then you have products there, right? Products which you, you know, you sell and that you endorse. So Chevy. Mm -hmm. Chevy. Chevy was, uh, he was my accident dog. So I had two Siberian Huskies growing up. I got Granite when I was 11 and he was my buddy all the way up until last year when he finally passed. Mm -hmm. So my whole life. And then Kaya. And uh, a few years ago, some family turmoil happened and my dad ended up getting his own place and things happened and mm -hmm. he got a dog. My dad's a very busy man and he won't ever admit this, but he bonds better with little dogs than he does big dogs. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I was over there all the time with my dogs and the kids and just bringing them back and forth. And as time went on, that dog Chevy started bonding with me and my dogs. So he started getting really depressed and eventually he just, he became, two dogs became three. He's a shepherd, right? He was, yeah. Yeah. So he was uh, a, a big like giant lanky shepherd. So we had, I had him for almost three years, but certain things, and you know those dog DNA tests? Have you, mm -hmm. have you ever done one? I have not done one. So there's something called COI, I think, yeah, coefficient of inbreeding. And I had one done on him because he'd had some issues mm -hmm. and like bone tumors and other problems. So medically he was a disaster, but he's such a sweetheart. And I had that done. And so the coefficient of inbreeding on him was 47%. So to put that in perspective, oh. the last three generations back of that dog were full sibling breeding. You know that's that's just horrible. That that is horrible. I I rep and we're going to get back to this, but this means a lot to me. I represent an, an amazing organization called Social Compassion and Legislation, run by a woman named Judy Mancuso out of Laguna Beach, and I'm their I'm their lobbyist and she's done a really good job of getting rid of a lot of these bad breeders. And so this year we had a bill to get rid of backyard breeders. A lot of these people who are doing just what you said, um, well, you didn't say that, but what they're doing leads to what, yeah, you wouldn't believe all of the pushback we got. All of the push, the American Kennel Club opposed us on the bill because the American Kennel Club gets paid by them to register their dogs. So if we cut down on all this bad breeding that they're doing, the American Kennel Club, which has this great name, they're going to lose money, right? Because they're not now getting the money from these these bad, bad breeders. That is really sad. I, I had no idea that about this inbreeding with, with Chevy. 
I didn't know either until I had the test done, but it, then it, everything started adding up with all the medical issues he'd had. And this is my accident dog. He, the family that had him before, they loved him dearly. I have no idea where they got him from. They just had family mm-hmm. issues and he ended mm-hmm. up with my dad and he ended up with me. But oh, Poor guy. Yeah. His life was way too short and played with way too many issues. Oh, now, he had the leg? He did. So it was a rare form of bone cancer and it just grew and grew and it didn't spread. It was odd. It never it Well, initially. It didn't spread, so he lost the leg, and we thought we were good. So we were actually working with a prosthetic company, and there's been no um, – it's called Bionic Pets, and Derek Campana does it. He's – like, he casts for elephants. He does everything. He's one of the only people in the world that does what he does. And Chevy was the test dog for a rear leg canine prosthetic, which hadn't been done successfully. Front leg, you've seen them, and it, it has. But just the way the leg articulates, it doesn't work. Anyway, he was the test subject, and it was going well. But then, and he'd been about six months since the amputation, and everything was great. And then unexpectedly, he started having issues. He started losing control of his bowels, and then he lost control of his remaining back leg. And I think it was it was last Thanksgiving, all back to back to back. And we went in and got the MRI, everything that I could do. So like, if I could save him, I was going to. His lungs, his liver, everything was just tumors everywhere. Like he shouldn't have been along as long as alive as long as he was. A uh, big old tumor on the spine. Oh, this poor guy. And it's a but, German yeah. Shepherd. It was, yeah. Oh, you know, There's I have a German Shepherd. And so I, it's. Hip dysplasia. In yeah. the one hip he had, he had moderate. In the one he lost, he had, I think it was severe, but he lost that one. But it's just like every issue you can have, the poor guy did, but he was the biggest sweetheart. But he still hung by you. He did. He should have. They didn't know how he was still alive. But he hung in there for you. I think so. Mm-hmm. And so he passed away and. He did. Did you learn anything from him? What did he teach you? Extreme perseverance. Mm. And if you just get up at each day and do what you want to do, you're going to live longer. If you're going to actually enjoy life. And I think that's with him and my previous dog. He had he lived 14, but mm. he had so many issues where he should have died years before. We're talking about Granite now. Yes. So what's Granite's story? Granite, he uh, was with him from the time I was 11. So... He was from a He great, was your first dog. You saved up to buy him, right? I did. Yeah. <laughs> he cost me 900 bucks. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. No, for a kid, that, that was a lot. That's a lot of money. Yeah. but uh, And my intent was to show him. He ended up, he was, I'll, I'll be blunt here. He was the biggest asshole on planet Earth. Mm-hmm. He hated people. He liked one person and that was me. So as time went on, he was, he was just my buddy. He was my hiking buddy, my everything. If I went somewhere, Granite went somewhere. And it stayed that way from 11 to 25. He had, as he got older, and he was from a good breeder, and Kaya was too. There are good breeders. There's few and far between. There are few and far between. I I really mean that, Aspen. There are few and far between. And the bad breeders fight to stay in business. Well, even um, good breeders for certain breeds. It's horrible, I know, for the French Bulldogs, for example. Mm -hmm. Those are just little money machines, but they're inbred intentionally. It's called line breeding or back breeding. They're Mm -hmm. intentionally inbred. So even a breeder that's claims to be um, very, very good, very high quality, and they could be considered that industry. They're still inbreeding their dogs intentionally. Anyway, there are some very, very few good breeders, and she was one of them. She passed away several years ago in 2014. Her name was Susan. Anyway, I got him from Oregon when I was 11 and Kaya several years later. But uh, just my buddy for his whole life, he had, toward the end of his life, he had chronic bronchitis for like four years. Would he still hike? Yes. Oh, he, his last hike was two, like his last long one was two weeks before he passed. 
and he was nine miles. He was almost 14. He was amazing. But he also had um, DM, so a degenerative myopathy, which is something they can test for now, but they weren't testing for it back when he was being bred. That didn't happen. So a, a good breeder won't breed a dog that carries that or like actively carries it. They can mm -hmm. have it. It could be recessive and it won't um, come up. Anyway, he had it. And that's basically a death sentence. It robs him of movement and everything. He was the longest living case my vet had ever seen. Oh, my God. And that's not what killed him. He ended up getting nasal cancer. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh my God. He was a badass of a dog. And that was Granite. What yes. you, what's the name Granite? Granite. So I was a nerdy child and mm -hmm. I loved reading all the time. And I'd mm -hmm. read a book. It was like a Call of the Wild type book. Uh -huh. And it was a, a little husky dog that had gone wild. And I don't remember if the people had named it in the book or if it had just adopted the name for the book. But its name was Granite. So I was like, all right, I'm going to get a husky. I'm going to name it Granite. So I did. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's, why not? Yeah. <laughs> so so what did you learn anything from Granite's life? Do you think Granite passed any lesson on to you? <sighs> he was so similar in attitude. I don't know if it was me learning from him or him learning from me. But he was tough. He was, he was a tough dog. He probably learned from your perseverance. It's just the same. Enjoy your life. Enjoy each day you mm -hmm. get. You don't know how many you're going to get. And now you have Kaya. Kaya, she's a, a serial killer. She is. She is a mass murderer of small things. And she'll try to take out anything bigger, too. A bear? She believes she can. <laughs> she can. All 45 pounds of her. And she's a husky? She is. So I like crazy dogs if you can't. The, the are shepherd, huskies crazy? They're insane. Are they? Yeah. They're nuts. Like energy level is through the roof and mm -hmm. they like to murder anything that moves. Yeah, there's some there's some cute ones online. There's like few and far between. It's like, oh, the cat's its buddy. Because he looks so pretty. They got those blue eyes, you that's, know? That's why they're uh, one of the main dogs in shelters. They're beautiful, beautiful dogs. I think they're like the top three large breeds in there. Shepherds are another one after pit bulls, of course. But they're all high maintenance dogs. High maintenance, lots of attitude, lots of energy. So... You got to have a certain lifestyle to really give that kind of dog a good life and a certain mm -hmm. attitude. To yeah. You know, honestly, I my eyes well up um, with tears every time. You, I hate Nextdoor. Like, you're, you, do you guys have that app Nextdoor? That Nextdoor app? I'm familiar with uh, Well, you live up in the boonies. I don't know if you guys – you guys have, like, Next Acre. So, like, um, I, but they always put shit about animals on there. And it's like, oh, there should be a filter where I can put on there. Don't put animal things on me. You know, I don't want to see sad stuff about animals because then that's all I can think about. Like a normal person can see a thing about an animal and go, oh, that's horrible and go, mm, I'm hungry. I can't like I see a thing about animal and I can't stop thinking about it. And then even if it has a happy ending, because my wife is like, you got to see this. And I'm like, no, oh, I can't see it. It involves an animal. And she's like, but it has a happy ending. No, because my mind, because I'm kind of like you, a little obsessed about stuff. Yeah, I do. And I like, no, because I think about all the animals in that situation that didn't have a happy ending. So it's like, don't show me animal things. But anyway, when I, like I'll see next door and they'll say, oh, this this German shepherd has just been dropped off at the shelter. And I'm like, no, because I know what beautiful, amazing animals German shepherds are. And to see one in a kennel is like, to me, the equivalent almost of seeing a human being in a kennel, because I know how smart and how loyal and what great athletes, and they're just sitting there, right? And you know someone had them with their family, and so they're probably wondering, where are my dudes, right? Where am, where's my pack? So I, I'm, I'm with you, man, on the whole breeder thing and in the kennels.
No, it, it's horrible. I don't know. It's everybody has, well, everybody, you grew up with a breed, you have a favorite breed, and there are, there's like 1% good breeders that actually care. And then there's everybody else that needs to go away. Well, I did not know that about Huskies. Oh, yeah. Insane. And very, very overcrowded in the shelters because of it. They're beautiful. I People get them because they're beautiful and they yeah. don't research them. They are. They are. They're very beautiful animals. Well, I will not get one now. Um, no, I mean, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a shepherd guy anyway, but I have always thought about it because they're just beautiful. And I'd like, oh, man, I'd like people to see me with this dog. Um, if you have the time for them. So, so speaking, speaking of Huskies, that was a bad segue. It actually has nothing to do with what I talk about next. So when you started fighting, when you began your amateur career, um, there was nowhere to go, right? I mean, had Invicta started when you began your amateur career? Yes, Invicta was around. So for people not familiar with it, Invicta is the first like just women pro mm-hmm. league MMA. So that's where we can go because the UFC was not yet open to women. And Dana White at that point had said he'll never have them in the UFC. It's as I was coming up. And I think I was a young pro at the time, possibly a, a late amateur, but I think I was a pro. And that's when Ronda Rousey came about. So lover or hater, and a lot of people talk crap, you can be nothing but grateful because she's the one that opened the doors to get where we all are now. So as soon as Dana accepted women to the UFC, it went from me as like, okay, I'm going to do this part-time. This will be what I do for fun, and I'm going to have a job over here. So that was my intent. And then when the doors opened to UFC, and I say, oh, my gosh, I can make a living at this. This could be what I do because I was good at it. I enjoyed it. it. And it's most things that you enjoy that much and you are mm-hmm. able to engage in the passion and just doing well at it, do, it can add it up. So do you, did you have athletic, did you, were your parents or your relatives, were they athletes? Because I do believe like 70% of it at some point is just all mental. Um, but you have to have that basic athletic background. And so do your, because you had a really fast rise. And so I've always wondered if you had like a background of athletes in your family that you, you know, maybe in, got I, some stuff from. Yes and no. So it seems fast, but 10 years. So, but that is fast well, when well, you look at it. But you're, you, but you're, you went from your first fight to your first fight as a pro within two. Yeah. Within two years. I was, I remember it. My, after my first pro fight, we came home. That was my 20th birthday. So yeah, about two years. Yeah. Yeah, and it slowed down a little bit as a pro, especially in the transition from Invicta Mm -hmm. to the UFC and then this last year, which we can talk about if you want. Yeah, I'll talk about it later. Yeah, but uh, no, as far as athletic ability, yeah, my mom was a Division I softball player. Okay. And that was that. And my dad was just normal, athletic, good old boy and several other things growing up. Mm -hmm. And uh, me, younger, I did some ballet for quite a while and then – I got into distance running with my dad a little bit after mm-hmm. that. And then there is other things like skiing and things, but that was just for fun. Did the ballet help? I don't know. I did it for about five years when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And I think any form of, of athletic, mm-hmm. anything, anything you have to be the schedule, being strict, just learning. Yes. The discipline of it. I think whatever it is, it doesn't matter. It's going to help a kid. It's just learning the structure. Mm-hmm. So in that way, I'm sure it did. Athletically, I think I've always just been a little, I need something to do. So. You're like a husky? Yeah. <laughs> there, there's a reason we get along well. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, when I was when I was looking at your record, I mean, or at your journey, and it's like less than two years, man, from your first stepping into a ring as an amateur with that hair 
to getting into your first pro fight with the braids. I mean, that's that was pretty quick. That's that's impressive. Um, so Invicta was around, so you probably thought, okay, well, this is what I'm doing, Invicta, right? Yeah, no, I was happy too. I was I was very grateful for the opportunity, and I still am. Invicta is amazing. So oh. there are certain things, and I think some fighters coming up, they come up too fast almost. And as you're saying, that is fast, but there is. But there is amateurs. levels to it. I did. So yeah. everybody needs to do amateurs for a while, in my opinion. That's where you learn. You take mm-hmm. a loss. You, you get better. You learn what you're doing and how you're doing it. So as the like the late stage amateur, I think there's a promotion you should always fight for. It's tough enough in Vegas. And they treat you kind of like a pro. So you fly in. You're, you learn how to fight and travel and do everything Who's you need again? to do. Tough, tough, enough? tough enough? Tough enough. Okay. They do pro-ams now, too. But okay. as like your last amateur step, you should go there. And then for a guy, there's there's few options. There's like LFA, CFF, CFFFC. But for women, really, the pinnacle of it, before the UFC now, because that's, that's mm-hmm. open, it's Invicta. That's where you want to go. They're extremely professional, and they run their show exactly like the UFC does. So Same rules. Same rules. Same. They treat you the same. You have to do media the same. Everything is very similar. You got to follow their um, itinerary when you get there kind of thing. So once you go through that system and you're fighting all the best girls, like you're, it's great competition. So once you go through that, by the time you're signed to the UFC, it's like, oh, this is it's bigger, but it's all familiar. Mm-hmm. It's not just the fight. It's learning everything up until the fight, following all the rules, following the itinerary, doing the media while you're cutting weight. Mm-hmm. It's just it prepares you for that next step. Well, now, so now, and we'll talk about you going to the UFC in a minute, but so now you have Invicta out there, then you have the Professional Fighters League, Professional Fight League, right? PFL? Yes, PFL. Um, and they have that woman who... Kayla Harris. Yes. Yeah. Yes, who's like talking mad shit. She has an amazing story as far as her and the Olympics and mm-hmm. all kinds of... Judo, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, she has like a dark and an amazing story. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she's she's talking a, a lot. <laughs> she has the chops in that way, but she hasn't faced anybody in MMA yet. Right. She's faced washed up UFC fighters that fought 20 pounds lighter. Mm-hmm. But she's still one of the best on planet Earth at what she does. We're just yet to see if she's one of the best on the planet at MMA. Correct. I, I agree. I agree with everything you just said. Yeah. I mean, it's different. It's It's like someone... Well, anyway, it's it's a different there there's levels, right? And yeah, so you got to prove yourself as you move up into the different levels. And then there's also Bellator now, right? Yeah. So that's another option for people. Um They definitely have the best 45 women's division because they actually that? Oh, that's Cyborg. Cyborg, yeah, she's the champ of it and then basically every other chick that wants to fight at 45, there's only a handful of them in the UFC cuz Bellator actually gave attention to that division. Mm-hmm. Whereas the UFC is basically just doing it to feed um well, they were doing it feet sideborg, and now they're doing it for Defeat. Amanda. Yeah, and I, it, mm-hmm. go for it. Well, I noticed on the forty-five rankings, they show Amanda as the champion, but there's no one listed underneath her. No, there's not enough for a top fifteen. They they would have to really either the weight cut rules have to change because if that's the case, all the thirty-fivers are now forty-fivers. Because if we're not cutting water, that's what we are naturally. That you can cut down to that and not suffer. Or they have to really put time and attention into building their division. Because right now, Bellator has all of them. And I'm not familiar with ones coming up through Invicta or other fight leagues. So if you're going to do 145, you probably want to go Bellator. I'm not, I don't mean you, but I mean in general, if you want to In do general, that. I think that's what people are doing right now. Mm-hmm. 
or they're signing as a 45 and cutting to 35. It's just mm. what the entire season of the tough 30. So yeah, so the tough house did a 145 season mm-hmm. and every single female fighter on there cut down to 35 after. <laughs> so, so, um, how, how can you walk me through this as a civilian? And for people who listen to this, who probably don't do this, um, how do you go about cutting? Um, cause to me, it seems so foreign. So, you know, I, I hang out my whole life in gyms. You see me all the time. I go to gym twice a day. I just, I'm a gym rat, but I've never been experienced. I've never experienced what you guys do. Right. Um, so I know there's probably a cardio element. There's a nutritional element, but then I see you guys sitting in those tubs, which I don't understand what the tub thing is. And then I see you guys with towels over, over you and people putting towels. And I'm like, what? So what, what is that process? All right. Have have you ever had a buddy who wrestled or did you wrestle growing up? You see wrestlers in high school? Oh my God. No, I got snookered by the wrestling coach. Like, I think they, they, I think wrestling coaches, you guys have heard this story. I think wrestling coaches like just hang out on campus looking for dudes who look like they lift weights and go, Hey buddy. You look like you could be a wrestler. Uh, MMA coaches do this basically oh, the same thing. Like, hey, you're athletic. <laughs> so I went to two wrestling practices and I quit after the second one. It was by far the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. We're doing the, doing the bear crawls, the 100 yard. We were doing 100 yard bear crawls. Then I had to carry a guy. Then they wanted me to do a rope because I don't know if they do ropes anymore. Um, yeah, Wrestling is still the most brutal aspect of what yeah, we do. I quit. I quit. Second day, I quit. I was like, dude, you just wanted me to be like fed to the lions. So the reason I was asking is because you probably experienced it or saw it growing up, even if you didn't realize oh, spitting it. Spitting in a cup. I did. Yeah, I had buddies that wrestled. They were always spitting in a cup yeah. or walking with those like plastic suits on. Uh, plastic suits, hoodies, like the standard hunched over wrestler cutting weight. So that's what we're, we're talking about now. So to get to a certain weight class, and wrestlers, actually, they do it better now because a couple guys died and there was um, uh, something put in place basically where they can only get to a certain level. They're tested, their body fat's tested, and their water retention is tested, I believe. So they can't get below a certain point for like college athletes as far as wrestling goes because people died. And until somebody high profile and with us dies, it's not going to change. But for MMA people, you can only get down to a certain point as far as your fat, your cutting, even if you do it perfectly. And for me, for example, I'm a 135-pound fighter. By the time I walk into the cage, I'm just about always 155 pounds. Really? Yes. When you walk in, you're 155? Yes. That is just for me natural. That's where my body sits at. Even after a very good cut, I'll bounce back to about that on fight night. And that's what most fighters end up doing. So you can only get down to a certain point. For me, I can get down to about 10-ish pounds above my weight class, and Mm -hmm. then you cut water. So you're asking about the bath and the sauna, that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. That is completely, you're cutting your fluids. You're cutting water out of your body. So you're dehydrated. It sucks. But that's how you get off those last 10 pounds or whatever it is, mm-hmm. seven, eight. So some people do a lot more. I've seen guys pass out and go back in and keep doing it. Mm-hmm. But the whole point of that is you get down to your weight class for the few minutes you have to. And then you rehydrate and you go fight the next day. So so when you're doing that, I'm assuming you've already like gone to the fight venue, right? You've gone, say your fight is in Kansas City. You've gone to Kansas City. Do you have to like find a hotel that you know is going to have a steam room? I mean, do you scout that out ahead of time? When you're lucky, and as I was saying, Invicta is a very good place to fight for. They they know you cut weight. These promotions, they, they um everything they do is surrounding the fact that the fighters got to cut weight. They got to do media. They got to do everything. Now, you still have to show up your, your obligations, but they usually have it staked out at least. Mm-hmm. 
So, okay, you'll get there with the itinerary. And it's like, okay, sauna's here, and the shuttle to the sauna runs this amount of time. Oh, okay. So, yeah, they, That's cool. they know when you're okay. But as an amateur, yes, you got to go figure that out mm-hmm. on your own. So what? So when you're starting to cut, and you're already cutting right now for your next fight, right? Because you're fighting July 24th. Yes. So what, what phase of your cut are you in right now? Comfortable phase where you're still cutting fat. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you, is that cardio? Oh, no, that's diet. That's probably just nothing but diet, right? Adjusting it's, your diet? It's both. So your training changes too. The closer you get to a fight, it's a lot more fast switch and high intensity. Um, so training does change. Intensity does change. And that contributes a little bit, but it's mostly diet. It, it's a lot of diet, a lot of um, restriction, but in the right ways. So you need to work with a professional and somebody that knows what they're doing better than you do. And so as you get closer to the fight, that professional will become more and more part of your life, right? Kind of. To make sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at this point, it's because I've been doing it so long. Mm-hmm. It, they are a big part, but you also, you know the expectations. You know what's coming. So you get your numbers, you get your food, you eat it when you're supposed to. You go a train and it comes off. How many times do you weigh a day? I Okay, I try to avoid that as much as possible. Uh-huh. Do you go by the feel of your clothes? No. So when I have to close to a fight, I'll do like daily, but the rest of the time, once or twice a week. Oh. Yeah, no. That's surprising. My obsession level gets a little too high. Oh, <laughs> or you would be doing like hourly, right? Not quite hourly, but it, it gets it could get bad. So mm-hmm. I've gotten better, especially as I've gotten older because mm-hmm. I'm aware of what I do uh-huh. and I'm aware of my tendencies. Like I'll do it when I have to, when the person that needs my weight needs my weight. I'm just going to leave it alone until then. Yeah, I mean, so as a as a as a fan of the sport, you know, I think that most fans like myself don't realize how much of the work in a fight goes on before you walk into the cage. Not just the training, but like getting down to the right weight and making sure you're doing it safely and all that kind of stuff. So, I've always been fascinated, so I appreciate you sharing that with me because like God, I know how hard it is for the average person to lose two pounds, right? And here you guys are shaving off like 30. I can't believe you walk into the into the cage like 20. You get the, that fast. Yeah. yeah, even a good weight cut, bad weight cut, you put on more. But a good one, it's just what I my body does naturally. And most people are at about that. Yeah. yeah. Nice job. Okay. So now you're going to the UFC. So your first fight in the UFC, you got your braids, like you got your shit on point now. You're getting in. Did you have? Did you guys have sponsors when you when you joined, or had no. they already done the Reebok so deal? So Reebok had just come in at that point. Okay. Oh, so that I made more money as um, an amateur bringing in sponsors <laughs> than I did as a pro, as far as that goes. I know. I see some of the people from your club, and you're with MMA Gold, yes. and they they train where I work out, and great fighters there. You guys, do, I'm very impressed. You got Max Payne Griffin. You got um, Fluffy. You got yourself. You got Andrea Lee. You guys you got a lot of guys who are just walking around that look great that I see. I see you throwing around. So the other day I was, uh, I don't know, I was doing something, right? And I heard something, boom. And I was like, oh, shit, what was that? And I looked over and it was you. And you were, you were wrestling a guy. I think his name is the Chin Collector, uh, which is an amazing nickname, by the way. I wish I had thought of that. Like, if I had thought of that nickname, I would have got into fighting just so I could say, I'm the chin collector. In all fairness, Adam th- definitely thought of one of the better ones. <laughs> yes, that's not bad. But I heard a boom and I looked over and it was you and you had like thrown the guy. And I was like, damn, I guess Aspen's back. I don't remember if it was uh, Adam that night. It could have been one of my coaches. I don't know. Because we're getting back into everything. Uh, mm-hmm. 
very, very, so intensity wise. Mm -hmm. So it's not just another fight coming up. It's my first fight after a, yeah, about a year. So because Mm -hmm. it blew blew out my knee, like bad last year. So not only am I cutting weight and getting ready for fight, we're re-engaging all the extremely Mm -hmm. hard things and things I couldn't do for a while. So getting used to certain movements again, and I'm Mm -hmm. basically 100% back now. But it's been a slow, slow ride to get here, slow journey. Yeah. Oh, for those people that don't know, that's why I said Aspen's back because yeah. because I remember it, I think it was only like six months ago when I saw you come into the gym and you were like your leg was still in a brace and you were boxing like essentially on one leg. You were striking on one leg. Um, and to see what you're doing, to see the other night you throw in this dude. So loud, it interrupted my workout. Thank you. (laughs) But I was like, she's back. So to skip ahead, um, I I wanted to walk through some of your early uh, UFC fights, but let's go to what happened just recently. And that was you you came back, you you had a setback, but then you came back, had an amazing victory. Um, I think everybody knows, God, I can't ever pronounce her name, Sadatskaya, what was it? Yana Kutinskaya. Yeah. Yeah. Were you just, is her nose okay? Because I think you put her nose over by her ear. So she got her face extremely messed up in the fight before me, but she won it. Oh, good for her. Yeah, no, it it was mm-hmm. a bloodbath. And she had reconstruction and everything, came back after she had done very well. Mm-hmm. She's still doing very well. She's actually doing great since that fight. But um, yeah, so that was a very fun fight. It was It was awesome. But it was a good one to come back to. And I was excited for what was to come after, except for things happen. Yeah, so you were getting ready, right, for your next fight. I think you were going to take on Pena or no, Holly Holm? I was McMahon. To. There you go. I was yeah. supposed to take on Pena twice though before that and Was so- she running? <sighs> we just could not make the fight work and yeah. it wasn't us who was pulling out. Okay. So there, Do the math. Yeah, there's twice there. <laughs> so that fight didn't pan out. So she there was two times after that, they booked me with McMahon, and I was excited. We got to about two weeks out in my last hard training session, Lumini. In training. In training. Oh, yeah. Sorry about that. And it was it was both, right? It was both the anterior and it was medial. it was basically everything. There was like one ligament that I didn't tear. I tore my ACL completely, MCL completely, meniscus was torn off completely, and uh, ACL, MCL, meniscus. A couple hamstrings were torn, and I think it's a sartorius, sartorius, whatever the big muscle is that runs along your thigh. Mm-hmm. I ruptured that. So, like a twisting, involuntary twisting motion, basically everything in there. Oh my God. So, look at your leg. You pulled it. Yeah. Essentially, right? Yeah. yeah, I know the sartorius. That's a, that's a, that's a tough muscle to pull. That's hard to pull. It's, I, I ruptured the darn thing. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know what part hurt the most. It hurt. Yeah. But you were still going to fight. That was the plan, yeah. I didn't think it was as bad as it was because most mm-hmm. of the pain was, all right, it, it hurt, all right. But I was so close to the fight. Weight was good. It's like, I'm just going to do it. We're going to fix yeah, after. Yeah. So the plan was I was going to go in because there was considerable pain, but it wasn't. It's was like, I could still fight. We were going to go in and get a cortisone shot uh-huh. just so I wasn't thinking about it during the fight. The UFC actually sent me to the guy to go get that. I didn't know who they were sending me to. They sent me to a, uh, a surgeon, basically. And he looked at the knee, wouldn't give me the shot, did a little, um, what's it? It's prego people, MRI. No, not MRI. I had that second ultrasound. He ultrasounded uh. the knee because he's just looking at it. He's like, I'm not going to give you the shot. And he sent me to go get an MRI. 
And he called me the next day and was like, you're not fighting or anything else and told me every single thing. Uh... <laughs> I'm so sorry, but you're back. And I heard it. I heard it. Uh, poor dude. <laughs> the Chin Collector. That is a hell of a nickname. It is. I'm not sure who was him that day. I, I know. I looked. I saw him. I looked. <laughs> You're in the zone. You're in the zone, man. I, I was like, holy shit. <laughs> um, so, so okay. So, I want to go back because you had this rapid rise once you came in, right? And you, what was the highest ranking you've had before three? Were you the number number one contender? I don't think so. I, I'm pretty sure it was. It's been three, I think. Okay. But honestly, I don't look. Mm-hmm. So, oh my god, you're just like me. I don't. I don't either. I never look. Like you're I never. I don't. I never look back. Like you were. No, no. You probably haven't seen my office, but in my office, I have no. There's no diplomas. There's no certificates because I never look back. I only look. I only look forward. Um, like whatever I did. Oh, that's good. It's time to do the next thing. I'm the same way. Mm-mm, nope, didn't get you anything. So, um, but here's what I find interesting is that you were at the Khabib Connor fight. You were on that card. How was that? How was that audience? The atmosphere is insane. Yeah, so what was it, was it was like? In Vegas, but so many people fl- flew in from um, Ireland and Russia. It, like there was, I know, a but ton what's, of people. It's like being at a soccer game, right? With yeah. the two different countries all like screaming at each mm-hmm. other. So. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, like, just walk me through that feel. Uh, extreme. I don't know how to put it. Like, a usual fight, it's it's extreme. It's a lot. Uh-huh. Like, when I fought in Poland, that arena was sold out. Everybody's so mm-hmm. excited to be there. They just don't have sports, like, the same way we do over there. Yeah, yeah. So, something like that's huge. It was like that, only times 10. So, packed out, everybody, the energy's insane. Fun. It was fun to fight on. What is it like walking to a ring... With that, I mean, I don't know, there's 70,000 people there. I don't know. But it probably sounded like 200,000, right? Because they were all screaming. What is that like walking with those people staring at you, walking up those stairs? I never notice it, honestly. Really? Because at that moment, you're so focused on what you're about to do, at Uh least for me. I'm very, very, um, it's, nerve-wracking is not the right word, but every ounce of your being is focused on the fact you're about to fight somebody. Mm -hmm. And one of you is going to die, basically. It's to the death. That's just mindset so the crowd and stuff it doesn't doesn't really come into play i don't really notice it because of the event that's coming up if i wasn't about to fight i'm sure i would more Mm -hmm. so so what a lot of people don't remember what was lost in all of the stuff from that night and i remember that was just that was an amazing experience on tv you know i've been to a pacquiao de la hoya fight and it kind of had that same vibe because you had all of the, you know, the folks from the Philippines were there. Ah! And then you had the Mexicans there. And they're like, ah! So you had kind of the same, you know, that's, yeah, it was kind of cool. So we're, you weren't down there when all the melee happened, right? No. So after you fight, um, there's, it's called a green room. They, oh, and you get they, interviewed. Yeah. yeah. They stick you in there and you're not allowed to leave. So even if I want to, okay, some of them you can escape. Like you escape out the back door, but they won't let you go mingle with the crowd. And it's, it's a safety thing anyway we're stuck in a room so we're watching it on tv as it's going down oh so you watched the whole riot happen yeah, i was upstairs watching it on tv as the riot was happening <laughs> so what people don't remember i think is that you got actually got on the night that could be connor tony ferguson right all of that stuff you got performance of the night yeah that was pretty awesome it was awesome because for a couple of reasons so the chick i fought i was supposed to fight her in invicta eventually so she was like all reigning the, the champ 
Tanya Evinger, right? Yes. So, and she was like cleaning everybody out. There was nobody that could compete with her. She was like the cyborg that time? Yeah, she was the cyborg of Invicta. And mm-hmm. I was coming up in Invicta in her weight class. So it was mm-hmm. like, all right, we're going to fight her one day. And when I finally fight her, it's on the UFC for the UFC. It was great. Mm-hmm. And I didn't watch that fight, but I saw your strike rate. Mm-hmm. And I was like, dude, like, did you have to put your arm in ice? Because I think you had like 78 in one round. It was on the ground. So we got in a scramble. I think she tried to take me down and reversed mm-hmm. it. And it, they were mostly ground strikes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amazing. So I want to make sure that people remember that on the night that all that shit happened, you got Aspen Lad from Sacramento got performance of the night. It was a good night. But as we were talking, I don't like it's in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, no, yeah. you're talking to the right guy. I never, I never look back. So speaking of moving forward, so you have a fight mm-hmm. coming up on July 24th yes. with Macy. I don't even know. Chason. Chason, I think. Yeah. Yeah. She's got one loss. She does. She was the, okay, so the 45 season of um, Ultimate Fighter, she was the champ. And then she dropped down to 35. She has one loss right now. What are your thoughts? She's a big, strong girl. She looked big. Yeah. She looked mean. A lot of them. (laughs) You actually fight more mean looking people than I think any other fighter. I think you do. (laughs) I think they do it on purpose because you look so wholesome and I think, ah, that'd be a good matchup. I just, a lot of chicks don't find me scary. (laughs) Has anybody ever done that in real life? Uh, What do you mean? Not find me intimidating? (laughs) Like try to start something with you in real life or no? No, like uh, believe it or not. So MMA fighting, that kind of thing. You're in a gym. It's a very respectful mm-hmm. environment, and you're all just, you're there having fun, enjoying yourselves. So what people probably think of like this human cockfighting, a bunch of angry people, mm-hmm. not at all. It's martial arts in general is a respectful, like happy thing to be in. Mm-hmm. So somebody going out of their way to do that, and as you get to the next level, nobody's going to fight if they're not getting paid for it. So, <laughs> That's pretty good. And I'm going to even add to that. Once you get to the UFC and certain. Um, Certain institute, you, you can't. So it's in your contract. If you do that, you can get cut. If you get in a fight. Yeah, I can't get in a street fight. If somebody attacks me and I defend myself, that's mm-hmm. that's different. But I can be in a whole lot of trouble if I was ever start something. Yeah, no, no, you would never yeah, do that. But I have no reason to. Yeah. So, so um, speaking of Macy, so, well, before, never mind. Let's finish up with Macy here. Okay. So, so she does look mean. She's a big girl. Yeah. Uh, she got one loss. What, what? It's another human being, two arms, two legs, and go out and try to implement my game plan. She's going to try to implement hers, and we're going to see who comes out on top. You know what, man? That's, that sounds like a good one to me. So <laughs> how can you argue with that? <laughs> so um, let me just run some names by you and like give me a sentence. Mm-hmm. You okay with that? Sure. All right. Rose. I like her. She's very uh, quiet. I think she does a better, better. She's amazing. She does a better job of being a contender than she does being a champ. I think there's something that screws with her head a little bit of when she's sitting on top of the heap as opposed to competing for it. And we'll see. She just regained the title. We'll see how she does. But I think just something about her, say she she does better coming up. She does better as the contender than she does when she already has all that responsibility on her. You know, I think you said something, and I'm a big believer in this. It's one thing to chase a dream, but once you catch that dream, it's mm. even harder to hold on to it. Yeah. That's what I have found in life. Um, and so it, sometimes people are better when they're chasing the championship, but when they get it and now everyone's staring at them, 
It's a yes. completely different setup. And it takes almost takes a completely different mind to say, okay, how do I do it now that everybody's coming at me? I like going at them, mm-hmm. but now they're coming at me. And it is, it's a very different dynamic. And yeah. I think people adapt to it very differently. So I think you're right there. Um, Dustin, uh, no, Gaethje. Oh, he's awesome. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, no, dude's awesome. Uh, I've been that. around him a bunch. He's a, like a big, giant human goofball. Is he? Yeah, but very good at what he does and a very good person. Like, kind, nice. Is he? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Josh Emmett. Super kind. Very nice. Him and his wife are both great. We uh, blew our knee out around the same time and had surgery the same day. Like, that whole first week we were together and it was mm-hmm. great person. And a legit contender. People overlook him a lot. I don't know why. You know what? You know why? Maybe because he doesn't talk a lot of mess. Probably. And he is a, honestly, even not as a, not like within the world of fighters, just in the world of humans. He is absolutely one of the nicest, most genuine people I've ever met in my life. He really is. And I, I cannot sing his praises enough. And I think sometimes people mistake kindness for weakness. Yeah. And um, it's to their, it's to their, you know, it's. It's a mistake on their part mm-hmm. um, because he is a dangerous, dangerous man. Um, the way he knocked out, what was it Kevin Lee? Oh, gosh. Who was his last? Last one was in, even with the knee, it was like fight of the night, fight of the year almost. Yeah, it was like it was almost fight of the year. I feel like it was it like Christos something. No, maybe we have to look it up. Mm, I don't know. I just remember the fight. I don't remember the name, though. I saw him do the I think it was West Coast. Oh, God, he killed a guy. Well, um, I saw him fight a dude who was like a foot taller than him. Hmm. And he was telling me the story about how like he had no idea the guy was a foot taller until they got into the ring. Yeah. The guy was like 6'5". He had one of the best fights I've ever seen and it was at West Coast. And I believe that guy went on to uh, the high level two afterwards. Oh, did he? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. I just don't remember his name. Macy Barber. Macy Barber. Okay. So we've talked about Invicta and we've talked about coming up a lot. And I think there's certain steps you need to take. And I think there's a lot of young fighters now that didn't necessarily take all those steps. Mm-hmm. And now they're suffering for it. And she's one of them. She's infinite potential. She's she's good. But I think she needed a little bit of a slower start. And she needed to compete a little bit more before she hit the big time. But, I mean, you get that call. You're not turning it down. It's understandable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think I feel the same way. I liked her when she came up. I didn't necessarily like... The fact that she kept saying, I'm going to win the championship before I'm this, I think that's a little too much ahead of yourself. I get it. That's the game. That's how you sell stuff, right? I understand it. I don't have to like it. I don't have. Mm, I don't mean I don't have to like it. I'm not in a position to like it or not. I don't have to say, ooh, I'm going to follow that, right? Yeah. But um, because I think she spoke like that, I think they rushed her a little too much. They did, and she, it gave her... Um... Not necessarily a target on her back. With the other fighters, they certainly did the ones that weren't getting pushed as much. Mm-hmm. But when you're coming up like that and you're talking all that, it does well with the promotion. They will push you faster, but it, it's not necessarily a good thing. And we'll see if she's she's learned, she's grown from it because she had the fight with Roxanne. And Roxanne, she had a great night. She implemented her game plan and she won. I think Macy tore her knee like halfway through and then she had a long recovery. And she had a good fight coming back. She lost, but it was good. But we'll see um, if she's grown as a person, if she's grown as an athlete here coming up. Yeah, I, I hope so. I think um, she's fighting on the same card I am. She so is. We'll There's see. two. It's a two Macy card, yeah. man. Two Macy's. All right. Two Macy's. So let's let's hope that one wins. Um, so I'm looking at the rankings in front. Of, oh, last one, Dana White. Yes. 
So Dana White, if you talk to him in person, he's like if you gave a 12-year-old boy all the money in the world and he really, really <laughs> like, like he loves his life. He's awesome. And he's, I love that. He cares about what he does. He's a straight up businessman. Mm-hmm. But he's also, this hat over here is like if you gave a kid all the money in the world. You know what I got to say I like about Dana White? I like the fact that all of these people try to cancel him for holding the fights. Oh, yeah. And he was like, F you. Yeah, we're all I grateful for it. love that. Yeah. Nobody lost jobs. Mm-mm. You guys all worked. It was the best year the UFC's had, I believe. Yeah. I, 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 I honestly thought that was awesome. You know, I, I agree. A lot of people didn't not like him for that, mm-hmm. for political reasons. It's like, why, man? He's putting his money where your mouth is. And if you don't like it, don't watch the product. Absolutely. Stay away. Yeah. Um. So that was awesome. And then I saw what, you know, when they had the fight down in Dallas. Mm-hmm. And it was like, were you there? I wasn't. My teammate fought on that card, though. Andrea? Yes. Yeah. She's good. She's very good. Yeah, she's good. She had a very good showing. Oh, that arm bar. Mm-hmm. Oh, Jesus, that was vicious. Yes. You guys, you guys all walk around looking by nice little people and then, geez, getting that ring. Um. So I'm looking at the rankings in front of you and Holly Holm, Jermaine, Nunez, do you you feel how do you feel about that? It's interesting because that's the rankings in front of us, but the people that are ranked in front have already lost to noons and it's she has a fight coming up with uh Pena who I was supposed to fight a couple times. We don't but, know how that happened. <laughs> okay. But what happened, uh we're the only two that haven't actually fought her yet in the whole division. So well, in the whole top echelon of the whole division there. So Jermaine's fought her and lost. Holly's fought her and lost once or twice. I don't remember if it's twice or it's one time. But they need fresh contenders for it. I mean, if the world, if she goes out and slips on a banana peel and loses to Pena, that'll shake up the entire world. But who they're going to match up next, I don't know. Based on the fact that challengers for the champ, there's only a couple that haven't actually fought her yet. You. Yes. And the ones that are ranked above us, for the most part, have fought her and lost. So I don't know. Somebody's got to... Somebody, yeah. So, would you take that call? That's the call that everybody wants, and eventually, yes, I will take that call. But we're we're one fight at a time, and right now I'm on this fight. I think you're smart. I think that's a very smart way to look at it. I really do. Okay. So, all right. Well, July 24th, we're all going to be watching. I will be watching, and then when you do fight for the championship, I want to be there. I want to. I want to see you win that championship, one fight at a time, but. I, I can't tell you how much I like you as a person. So yeah. I really would like to see someone like you. And here's why. Because you remind me of what the martial arts were when they were first created. People came onto a mat. They bowed. They respected each other. They fought. Look, you had one of the most vicious guillotine um, uh, submissions that I've seen against, what is it, Pollock? Yeah, Roma Pollock, my last Sammy fight. That was amazing. But what did you do when you finished it? You walked off. You let her drop, and you, which, by the way, was one of the stone-cold hitman moves I've ever seen. It's like you just walked off, and you looked at the ref like, and we're going to have a video of it, and you looked at the ref like, clean my shit up. And I really like that. I like the fact that you don't go around. You don't, like, do push-ups in the ring. You don't do a shovel like you're burying somebody. But you have a- that one? Uh, Tito Ortiz. Oh my goodness! Yeah. All right, <laughs> but you have a complete respect for the art, and you know for the for your opponents, and I. That's why I think that a lot of people are drawn to you because you still have a good sense of honor 
about the sport that you know that you're engaged in. So I really would like to continue to watch you you rise. That being said, what are the last couple of books you read? I honestly haven't read anything in a while because right now I'm in a fight camp. Ah. I yeah. I train, well, I hike, I train, I eat, and I sleep. And unfortunately, until after my fight, that's my life. There's no TV. There's no reading. There's no downtime. As far as that goes, there's just train, recoup, do it again. Uh, Which ones have been influences in your life? We'll go way back. So as a kid, my biggest influences were uh, the author Tamara Pierce. And it was just, it's fantasy, but it's- I knew it. Yeah, it's fantasy. I knew who you but would be. It's like um, strong female heroines. Okay. Fighters, knights, that kind of thing. Big swords. Yes. So as a kid growing up, reading that and then getting older, I was like, I want to learn some kind of martial art, and that, oh. that had a big influence on it. So probably the most impactful books I read was when I was a kid. Hmm. I like that. So you'd like sci-fi or fantasy? I do. Like if I'm going to spend my time reading, I want to mm-hmm. enjoy it. Every once in a while, I'll read like um like a gardening book. Just mm-hmm. I need the information, but mm-hmm. for fun, no, I'm going to sit there and read something that's completely out of this world. Yeah, you know, I I used to read three books a night, not the entire book, but I used to have mm-hmm. three books. I would have a short story book, a nonfiction book, and a fiction book. I haven't read a book, and this is bad. This mm-hmm. is really bad. I'm not like if I think, and I think there are many people like me, mm-hmm. um, especially kids who didn't grow up on reading, right? Who've only grown up on phones. Yeah. I haven't read and I can't tell you how long and it doesn't make me happy mm-hmm. and I don't think it's good for our society. But um, yeah, I it's something I think about a lot. It's like, I got to get back to reading. But I think that it's almost like social media has trained my attention span in something yeah. in a different direction. I think I was reading a study on that recently where it's proven that it has just because the the instant gratification, we can't keep or hold a thought for longer than a certain period of time. But I, I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> it's all right. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you coming here while you're cutting because I know it's not easy. And I appreciate you not reaching across and hitting me because I annoyed you uh, <laughs> while you're all like cutting. Um, and I again, I the invite is going to be out at any time, you know, that you're that you want to come back because you've got a great story. And, um, you know, maybe someday down the road we can team up and work on some of these horrible shelter issues that are happening with these animals because the people, again, that run these bad breeders breeding sites they fight back they have lobbyists too believe it or not they just don't do this stuff and go away they have lobbyists they have associations they've co-opted some of the larger associations like the american kennel club Mm -hmm. and the people that run shelters they've co-opted them and it's not an easy job trying to fix this whole breeding problem and so i think you're doing god's work there and you know who knows maybe sometime down the road we could team up maybe in the future for sure Mm -hmm. all right thank you aspen light everybody (laughs) 